Hey, howdy, hey, Four Oaks. <clears throat> Pastor Paul here on a Tuesday morning, and I need to apologize for lying, bold-faced lying to you last week. I said that uh, as I signed off last Thursday and was preparing to go out of town, I said I would see you here first thing Monday morning. That would have been the 6th, but here we are Tuesday is the 7th. Uh, so um, up in Tennessee visiting my father and um, was delayed traveling, flight got canceled, a whole bunch of stuff. Anyway, ended up not getting back until very late. And so had to push the kickoff of this week's devotionals to today, Tuesday, November 7th. But we're here, glad to be here. If you're new to this, you know that what we are, no, if you're old to this, you know that what we do is we take a passage of scripture, the, the passage that we're going to be studying and um, preaching on that upcoming week, and, and we study it together the week prior. And so the idea here is that you're not just getting a theological, biblical download, you're actually getting some, some tools, some, some, some things to put in your, your uh, biblical interpretive toolbox to help you read, study, understand, apply the Word of God for yourself. And so we are in Matthew 12. All right, so let me read the passage for us. We're going to be in verses 38 through 42. Let's read the passage and then kind of scope out where we're heading this week. All right, verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Okay, so it's always helpful at the beginning of a study of, of a passage to sort of situate it, right? Um, to look at it in context, to see what comes before and what comes after. And this is really important because if you study a, a passage of Scripture and don't take into its larger setting, in other words, who wrote it, when was it written, what was the context, how does it fit into the flow of the narrative, then we can become sort of redu reductionistic and wooden in our biblical interpretation. And let me give you an example. So I remember um, in younger days, okay, of being a Christian, younger Christian, I would come to a text like this, and, th and there's parallels in the other Gospels as well, but, but this particular text, and look at this and say, well, this is a very reasonable request that the Pharisees have, right? They're saying, Jesus show us that you really are who you say you are. Um, do a sign for us, okay? Um, show us some great um, 
great accomplishment, some big thing, some like huge over the top call fire down from heaven. And, and one of the reasons I think um, they were wanting fire down from heaven is it, when it says this in the other gospels here, it just says, talks about a sign. But um, of course, this is what Elijah did. And Elijah caught, called down the, the fire from heaven, uh, consumed the sacrifice of the prophets of Baal, and then had them all put to the sword. And so they are asking, looking for a spectacular sign like that from Jesus. And I, I always remember thinking, that makes total sense, right? If, if, why won't Jesus show them this sign? Why won't he give them this sign? Why, wouldn't this be so easy and to leave beyond a shadow of a doubt who he is and what he's done? Like, why does Jesus refuse to give them a sign when they ask for it? And that was all uh, a, a, a sort of mental, um, spiritual stumbling block for me in trying to understand it. Well, that's only a question that you ask if you fail to um, understand this whole passage in context. It's, it's like getting into the Lord of the Rings and, and asking, um, let's, let's make, let's, let's, let's there's the pivotal scene, right? Spoiler alert, this was written 60, 70, 80 years ago. We know that Gollum wants the ring from Frodo. And we see that at the end, Gollum is attacking Frodo and wanting his wanting the ring from Frodo and ends up biting his finger off. Okay. Now, if I was just to drop into the story at that moment. I might reasonably say, well, why doesn't Gollum just ask for the ring? Why can't they just work this out? Why can't they just uh, negotiate a piece? And you, and you would laugh and say, well, well, obviously I haven't read the three volumes here, right? Obviously I don't understand uh, the story, the history of the ring, what's happened, why each side wants it, what they're trying to do with it. It, it would be a laughable comment on my part because it would show a complete lack of context. And I would just simply say that often happens in the interpretation of Scripture. We can read a passage, we can make a comment or make a note or have a question without properly considering what's come before and after. And so my, my initial impulse, well, Jesus, why don't you just give them a sign? Wouldn't this be so easy? They would believe. Is that it fails to consider what's happened thus far. Okay, so let, let, let's review that Jesus has been um, in this year, second year of his ministry, what we call the year of popularity, been doing extraordinary miracle after extraordinary miracle. He has been healing. He has been casting out demons. He has been making the lame walk, the blind to see. Um, he's been doing miraculous um, um, miracles. Um, he's done things that where we looked at a couple of weeks ago where it says the people are amazed, they're astounded, their minds are being blown. Um, but yet in the midst of this, the more miraculous things Jesus does, the more hardened in opposition the Pharisees become. Because as Jesus is revealing who he really is, um, this only seems to steal the opposition of the leaders because they're very vested in Jesus not being who he says he is. Um, he's not the Messiah they've asked for. They, he's not 
acting like who they think the Messiah should act like. And most importantly, it's going to disrupt their thing. It's going to disrupt their game. Um, he's putting them in their place. He's dethroning them and their false religion. And so they are refusing to believe. And as we saw a couple of weeks ago, they're even ascribing to Jesus um, the works of Satan. They're saying it is by Beelzebub that he casts out demons. So, so we need to understand that context in this narrative when we come to this passage. See, so knowing all of that, knowing that Jesus has already been doing miraculous signs, he's already uh, making it abundantly clear who he is, so much so that he tells them that they are actually blaspheming the Spirit by not acknowledging who he is, because it's very obvious that he's the Christ. Then we can see this request of theirs in verse 38 um, in a whole new way, right? Let's go back and look at it. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. And you, this should signal, when you know the context of something right off the bat, this is not a, sinc a sincere request, okay? Um, that there's something underneath the surface. That, that it, it appears that they're saying, well, if, Jesus, if you only show us a sign, a sign that we demand on our time and our place and the way we want it, then we'll believe, okay? And when the reality is Jesus has already been doing the signs, He's already been doing the works. He's already um, made it abundantly clear who he is, but yet they've refused to believe. And it's within that context that Jesus refuses to give them a sign. Okay, So this is really, really important um, in scoping out what he is going to teach us in this passage um, as we work through it, the remainder of the week, okay? Um, so, look at verse 39. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, before we unpack all this in the coming days, um, there's a couple of things that um, I want you to do, Okay. This little phrase, evil and adulterous nation, is um, a phrase that Matthew uses in various forms throughout his gospel, okay? And one of the things that I want you to, to see uh, or to do between now and tomorrow is go look through Matthew all the different times that he denounces either the people or the leaders or the nation of Israel as being hard-hearted or evil, okay? Um, for example, the passage where he talks about, hey, if the, if the miracles had been done in you, Bethsaida, uh, that had been done, um, if, if the miracles that had been done in you, Bethsaida, were, were done in Tyre and, Sid and Sidon, they would have repented. If the miracles that you had seen, Capernaum, had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. Those kinds of passages, okay, where there seems to be a particular hardness of heart, I want you to take note of in Matthew's gospel. And I want you to, to notice Jesus's posture towards them, okay? And this is going to help us understand um, how Jesus is situating all of these interactions, okay? 
And it's simply, I think, what you're going to find is that Jesus is not a domesticated God. Jesus is not a God to be manipulated. Jesus is not a genie. Jesus is not someone who gives out three wishes. He is not someone who can be domesticated and manipulated and cajoled into following our agenda. Jesus presents himself as who he is. And it's our job to orient to him, not his job to orient to us. Okay. So that's your assignment. And as you're unpacking that and looking at the nuances of those different times where he's denouncing the nation or he's denouncing um, the people or particularly the religious leaders, note why this is, what sort of heart they're displaying. And as we're going to see, I think, is that this invitation that Matthew's already given us through Jesus, come to me who all you who are here weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. The reason they are not finding rest in these interactions with Jesus is because they're not coming to him. They're dictating to him. And there's going to be something really, really important for us to learn about that in our own Christian lives. Okay. All right. So there's your assignment. We'll be back here tomorrow and I'm glad you've joined us. Glad to be back. Let's pray. Lord, remind us that you are God and we are not. You are the center of the universe. We are not. We don't um, dictate to you. We don't, we don't define the terms of the interactions, Lord. You do because you are the holy sovereign God. Let us see that in all its magnificence today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. See you tomorrow.